Alright, so 1 Samuel 17 tonight, your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 17. So I kind of toyed, I was really toying around with what to what to preach tonight. Um, typically when we bring the youth in here on Wednesday nights, which uh, I think there's, we, have a few, we have a few downstairs, but when they hear that we're combined, I don't know, it's some of them, they, uh, they, they become less faithful, we'll say that. So uh, we're not we're not doing anything that we've done either. We're actually just going to look at 1 Samuel 17 with a very popular story. And if you know right off the rip when I say this chapter, it may ring a bell. This is arguably the most popular story, one of the most popular stories in the Word of God. It's, it's David and Goliath. But it's something that, that I was in my daily Bible reading uh, just earlier this week was devotionally reading through the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, man, it's just it's one of those chapters that it, it'll supercharge you. It'll it will it can motivate you. There's a lot of devotional application, and that's that's what I want to do tonight. I simply want to, to take a few things that we can pull from from First Samuel 17 and apply them to us devotionally as a Christian. Um, so let's read a few verses, and then we'll uh, we'll break down some stuff out of it tonight. And, and I could be wrong. I've, I've tried not saying this as much recently. But I do believe that we'll get out of here early tonight. Uh, Tori tells me not to say that because it, it just doesn't happen. But I, I do believe that tonight. So we're gonna we're going to that is the, the the goal and the target, and we'll see if we arrive there. So first Samuel 17. I didn't put this on the PowerPoint. I don't know how I managed to not do that. But if you have your Bible, look at verse 20 with me. First First Samuel 17 verse 20. We're going to read verse 20 through 29. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brothers. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye not seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up. And it shall be that, that the man who killeth him the king, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he had spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. In verse 29, And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? So let's pray this morning, and then we'll dive into it. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity and the freedom that we have to to gather tonight. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this, this place, Lord. 
I pray that you would have your hand on everything that is said tonight, Lord. I pray that your word and, and your spirit would be the teacher. As, as I often say, I, I have nothing to say, but I do desire that your spirit uh, just simply use me as a vessel and, and use your word uh, to preach to these people. Lord, I pray that we would take some, some application from this and that we would uh, be more surrendered to you because of the application. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm looking at the title tonight, Caught in a War. Okay, caught in a war. So we obviously see the, and we're probably all familiar with the story and the whole, the entire story, and we're at 1 Samuel 17, those who just came in. The entire story is laid out across the whole chapter. Okay, literally it's from, from verse 1 till, till the end of the chapter. But here in this in this text, we we see, you know, David is, is coming, his dad has him go uh, to, to bring some stuff to his brothers. And, and, and all, as David is getting into the the, uh, the camp, he sees this war that's going on, okay? And, and he comes up in this, and he sees the great fright and, and the fear that is taking over his, his his brothers and the the entire army of Israel, and this whole this whole little debacle that's going on here. And so, what simply that we're going to do here just uh, tonight? And like I said, we're just going to pull out some some simple things and apply them to the war that we're in in our everyday life as a Christian. Now, doctrinally, and we, make, we talk about that a lot, there's three layers of application of the Word of God, historical application, devotional, and doctrinal. The doctrinal application, this actually pictures the Lord Jesus and his, and his, and his second advent when he comes back to this earth, and he, de and he defeats the Antichrist, because you know, he, he sits on the throne of David. Okay, but in our lives, again, we, just like David here, are, are caught in a war, whether we realize it or not. And so what we're going to do again is just take some, some devotional application from David's battle, what he sees around him, the circumstances that he gets himself in, and uh, apply that to us. So number one, here's our first point tonight, which I've already alluded to. David finds himself in a battle. Battle for blame. David finds, you know what, brother? I didn't give, uh, yeah, there's handouts, but I'm sorry, I left them in the back. Yeah, I'm coming. I've never done that. All right. Good thing it's Wednesday night. And they did say we're alive. So it's a good, good thing to do on the first live stream. Praise the Lord. But number one, or I'll let you catch up, but number one, David finds himself in a battle. actually realize the, the validity of this. They don't actually realize that they are 
truly in a spiritual battle. And again, it's, it's important that we know that this is a spiritual battle. We, we see that in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 says, put on the whole armor of God, right? This is the very popular passage here. That ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There it is. Okay, it's, not a, it's not a physical war. We may come against, uh, we may experience as we seek to serve the Lord, as we seek to surrender to Him, we may experience physical opposition from people. But we have to always remember, man, though it may seem, spirit, uh, though it may seem physical, it is a spiritual, a spiritual opposition. There is somebody at work always behind the scenes anytime we, we experience opposition when trying to serve the world. So we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So, man, that is how we've come to this place of Laodicea. Because the battle is very real. Again, whether, whether Christians know that it's real or not. Christians in 2023, Laodiceans may be content to sit on the sidelines, but I can promise you, man, Satan doesn't do that. He is always at work. He is always, his, his kingdom, he is the little G God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He is the little G God of this world, and he's always at work. He's always at work seeking uh, our attention. He's always at work seeking to get us sidetracked. He's always at work seeking our kids. He's always at work in all of these different things. And so whether I realize that or not, whether I actually act as though there is a war doesn't change the fact that he is active in this war. So just like David, we are, we're in a battle. And right now we, we leave here uh, tonight and we're in a battle. 2 Timothy 2, 2 Timothy 2, 2 is our popular discipleship verse. There in verse 2. And it says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So we quote that verse a lot around here, and we love it, and I do, and it's what we ought to do. We're, we're supposed to take those things that we've heard. Okay, so somebody in discipleship is getting poured into the Word of God. This, this is what changes lives. This is what the Spirit of God answers to right here. And, and they're getting poured into, okay, from somebody that has already heard these things from somebody else. That's discipleship. So the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Okay, so in the context of discipleship, I want you to see where Paul goes here in verse 3. He says, thou therefore endure hardness. Notice the word he calls us here. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So I think, and I could be wrong. But I think that the generation prior, and we're not all the same age here, but definitely the generation prior to my generation, whatever that is, however you define a generation, that generation did a lot better job of understanding that a, that a Christian is a soldier than my generation does. My generation, you look at most churches and most uh, places where Christians are hanging out, they're my age, and you would classify that as anything but a soldier, Okay. You just would. And, and so this, the, the truth of this has, has the, the devil has done a good job in, in, in distracting us from that, bringing us away from that. Okay, notice what verse 4 says. This is how we can walk as a good soldier, and which, by the way, is connected to verse 2, which is discipleship. 
So if someone's not a good soldier, they're not going to, to actually uh, reproduce spiritual fruit. They're not going to pour into people. So verse 4, this is how we become a good soldier. No man that warreth... Okay, so, so we're talking about being caught in the war. So if, if someone's actually going to be engaged in that war, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Boom. Shot to lay out a seat, right? They don't, they don't entangle themselves. They don't get caught up in the, in the affairs of this life, the, the physical. Why would they do that? Well, that, they, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. So here's our second blame. This battle that we're caught in, this battle is over the souls of men. And we knew that. But this battle is over the souls of men. How is that? Well, it's, it's certainly over the souls of men that they may not come to know the, the, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right? Satan wants to keep them in a lost state. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, which I quoted to you earlier, talking about him being the God of this world, Satan, the little g God of this world. It says in that verse that he blinds the mind of them that believe not from the glorious gospel of Christ. So he's constantly at work in that. Okay, but then, again, notice... When, when talking about this battle and we're a soldier from the text we just read in 2 Timothy 2, it, it is a battle over the souls of men before they come to know Christ. But just because somebody comes to know Christ doesn't mean that in that soul that battle is over. Amen. Because in nothing, we know this just personally in our own lives. I mean, if nothing else, even if the devil's not messing with you, when we, we've got a war every single day with our flesh. And which, whether it's the flesh or the spirit, the one that we feed, the one that we surrender to, obviously can dictate different uh, paths in our life. So this, this battle, this battle over the souls of men, again, it's not just for those that are lost, but man, it's also for, for the babes in Christ. It's also for those that, that have come to know Christ, but Satan, has, when they come to know Christ, when Satan desires to steal the seed of the Word of God out of their life, to kill their faith in this book, to kill their growth, so that they don't mature into faithful followers of Christ. So David finds himself in a battle here. We, as we've laid out tonight, we ourselves are in a battle. But number two, I want you to see this. And again, I think the way, just simply laying this out, these specific ten verses we looked at, they apply directly to the way I was seeing. Number two, most of the men were not willing to engage in this fight. Most of the men were not willing to engage in this fight. So look at the next verse, verse 24, verse 17. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. Okay, so I, I actually get it, right? If, if we were in the very position that these guys were in and, and Goliath is, is, uh, is standing there, I forget. Like this is one of the things you are, that I remember learning as a kid. I think he was nine foot something tall. Maybe he was ten. I can't remember. Huh? He was over 10. Okay, there you go. Okay, big dude, right? Big dude. I, we would be fearful as well. But, but we have to see the parallel here. Regardless of what it is they were afraid of, the thing that kept them from engaging in the war still was fear. And that is, that is the tactic of Satan now. That's why people don't serve the Lord oftentimes is due to fear. Their fear is in the wrong thing. Their fear is in... Their, their lack of ability. Although it's great, they know they can't do it. Rather than their fear of being in the Lord. And so here these men, and they, 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 because of this fear, because of, of 
this, uh, this overcoming them, they don't actually engage in the fight. And by the way, again, they're soldiers. Like that's, that's what they're there to do. And so the reality of us being away out of Sia in, in many times, in many Christians' lives, the, the fact that they are not willing to engage in the fight that the Lord has called them to, man, they're, they're, doing, they're not doing the thing that they're called to do. They're soldiers, whether they realize it or not. And so our, our first sub-point, our, our, your first blank in, in this number two here, which again, I've alluded to this as well, but there is a fight to be fought whether you engage in this fight or not. There's a fight to be fought whether you engage in this fight or not. And so I think sometimes, at least me, I have a tendency at times, well, not just, not just biblical things, but anything. I have a tendency at times to, to, to have this mindset that if I don't think about something, if I turn a blind eye to something or I, or I direct my attention away from something, that almost like that thing is still not a thing that needs to be dealt with. Like that's, that's called a procrastinator. I do that all the time. Uh, Tori almost said amen for the first time in church. So I was really looking forward to that. But nonetheless, the gospel with are people that I have talked to that they just are not interested in hearing about the free gifts of salvation. Again, it's a gift, but they're not interested in hearing about it. And the reason they're not interested in hearing about it is because if they have to think about it, they gotta, they gotta, they got to make a decision, right? To accept it or reject it. But obviously, if they don't make a decision, they're still rejecting it just as if somebody that chooses not to, to face the reality, a Christian that doesn't seek to face the reality of this fight, they don't engage in it, man, they, they've still walked in disobedience. So there's a fight to be fought whether you engage in this fight or not, whether I engage in this fight or not. 2 Timothy 4, 7, this is Paul's uh, final words. This is the last book, based on the year, that, uh, that Paul penned before he, he died. And he's telling Timothy this. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. And by the way, man, if Paul would describe his life, and he describes as, as his Christian life as a success, I mean, we would definitely say it was. He's the greatest Christian to ever live. But Paul describes his life again as that of a fight. And 1 Timothy 1.16 says that, we, that every Christian that has lived since that day until the rapture, every single Christian is supposed to look to Paul as a model for their life. And so, man, based on where we're at right now, would we be able to say, again, not that we're at the end of our life, but so far, would we be able to say, man, I'm fighting a good fight? We're keeping the faith. We're on the destination to finish our course. Because again, we're called to be soldiers. First Timothy 6.12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. First Timothy 1.18, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. And so you get it. And you knew that coming in here tonight. But again, it, it's just a reminder that we can't lose sight of the fact, that I can't lose sight of the fact that this truly, it truly is a, it's a war. It's a battle that, that we're called to. Which I praise God for. Because it's, it's purpose to live. 
So David finds himself in a battle. Again, we, whether we realize it or not, man, we are caught up in a very similar thing, but, but just spiritually. Most people in this battle, as we've laid out, they're not willing to engage in the fight. As most people, if we're honest, most Christians today, are, they fall under that same, that same deal. But number three is I want you to see this. I want you to see the reward for victory in the fight. The reward for victory in this fight. So David comes up. He sees what's going on. He, he sees Goliath. He sees this, this ten-footer. He sees his, his brothers. He sees the armies of Israel cowering back. They're scared. And, and he, he doesn't realize it, but he almost overhears these, these people, these men in the army, talking about there being a reward for this victory, for defeating Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 25. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. I didn't put it on there, but I think it's, I think it's verse verse twenty six. David says this because he, he overhears them talking about this. If you have your Bible, look at verse twenty six, and it says, "And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel?" For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Okay, so why do I bring that up? Okay, because we talk a lot about the reward of, uh, that is to come for those that, that surrender all to Christ. We talk about the judgment seat of Christ all the time here. But what, what's interesting about this is David is, is definitely, he's a man after God's own heart, as we talk about all the time. But what I like here in this passage is we see that David is actually motivated to obey God based on reward that is to come. Because many people almost have this, this, this pious attitude that if somebody serves the Lord for the, for the sake of reward, for the sake of the judgment seat, that that's not a, that's not a God or anything. But we see that oftentimes with the Apostle Paul, him doing the very same thing, him living his life now in scope of the judgment seat, in scope of the reward that is, that is available. And we see David doing the very same thing. So what it is, is again, it's just a reminder, as we are going out and engaging in, in this battle, as we are going out and engaging in this fight, it is simply a reminder that the way that we, that we do war effectively is we always have to keep our sights set on the judgment seat. Okay? Because, again, it's a war. So there's going to be hiccups. There's going to be problems. Nobody that, no, two, no army that goes into war just goes through with their feet propped up and, and chilling and hanging out, right? That's not war. So there's going to be problems. There's going to be opposition. So the thing that keeps us set on where we're supposed to be going is, is eternity. It is the judgment seat of Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, and I don't have this on your hand down on the screen, it just came to my mind. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, talks about the race that we're running. So we're in a race. The, life, the Christian life is a race. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 9 as well. And we're, and we're running this race, and then verse 2, or it talks about how we're to run, we're to, we're to, lay, every, we're to lay aside every weight, is what Hebrews 12, 1 says. And the sin which does so easily beset us. So there's things in our life that are not classified as sin that we have to lay aside so that we can run more effectively. But there's also sin that we have to lay aside. 
But then verse 2, he tells us at, the way that we run, the way that he tells us how to run in verse 1, and then when you get to verse 2, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And so, again, the same thing, man. The only way that we're going to, to, to engage in this war and not grow weary and not faint, because by the way, fainting is what keeps you from reaping what you sow, according to Galatians chapter 6. The only way that we can do that is by keeping our sight set on, on, on what is to come, on, set on eternity. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's been a while, Tori, since I did this. She says I always go to 1 Corinthians 3, so here we are. Or I say that. She says John 17. Sorry. 1 Corinthians 3. Every man's work, this is judgment seat of Christ, shall be made manifest. So every so, so the work we, we do now, the, the work that we do now from the moment you called upon Christ to save you until you die or until you're raptured up, I'm hoping for the latter. Okay? And I, I believe, I believe that will be the case if I live a full life. But whatever the work that you do in that time period, okay, that's going to be made manifest in this day at the judgment seat or made known. Okay? It's going to be made known. For the day, this is the, the day of Christ, not the day of the Lord, but the day of Christ. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive reward. And we don't have it in here, but what that verse, the next verse goes on to say is that those, if, if someone's work doesn't abide, that he, that he shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Which means, man, he's, he's making it in his body and nothing else, none of his works. He's going empty-handed into eternity. And so, man, I don't know about you, but... We have to keep our, our sights set on, on the Lord Jesus Christ in this day when, when, the, when this, will, this will reveal how much glory we're able to bring him in the rest of eternity. How we do it, this, this judgment seat of Christ. And so David, the, what got them initially going to engage in this battle was the reward that awaited him. So that, can be, that should be the same thing for us. Paul says a similar thing in Philippians 3. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What's Paul after? He's after a prize. And that prize awaits, awaits him at the judgment seat of Christ. And then number four. So we've, this whole, so far, one time we got 733. This whole deal so far has just been reminding us that we're in a battle, essentially. Which again, we, we know, but it's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to get caught up, at least me, to get caught up in everything else. Get caught up in my problems, get caught up in my, the busyness of my life, and to lose sight of this. But then number four, this is important, God's path to victory. So we see that David's in a battle and that most of the people around him are not interested in engaging in this battle. And that we, we see what motivates him to get in the battle. The rewards, Right? But all that is, is void because we're comparing it to our lives spiritually and the spiritual world that, we, that we're involved in. All that is void if we don't lay out, okay, well, how is it that, that we actually do this thing victoriously? Okay? And so look at, look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 32 and 33. I want you to notice the, the, the mindset of, of David and the mindset of Saul. Saul represents the world and the world's thought process on on how you get things done, and then I want you to notice David, which represents the Word of God, the Lord's. 
And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with, with this Philistine. And we've heard this story a million times, but you've got to imagine still how, how comical and how goofy that must have seemed to these guys, to the king. And we see that because of what he says in verse 33. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. Okay, so, so what we got to see here is, man, this is the actual way that God operates in victory through us. He uses people that are not able to do it themselves. Okay, go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't have this on there, but we could do some, some good with going to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Because you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in the book of James that the world actually does have wisdom, but that it's devilish wisdom. It's sensual and devilish. So the world does offer wisdom. The world says, hey, hey, climb your way up, and that is the way to success. But the word of God's the opposite. It says the man that gets raised up is the man that goes down low. The man that humbles himself. And we see that obviously here. That's why God uses David here. So again, man, what God is what God is showing us here in this thing is just like with our spiritual, the spiritual battle that we're in. We don't have the ability. Just like David did. We don't have the ability to, to have success in this, this spiritual war that we're called to. We don't have the ability in our flesh to, to walk as good soldiers. That's why he gave us the Spirit of God. That's why he gave us the Word of God. That's why he gave us the body of Christ. So that, so that he, could, he could use those things to do that through us. Okay, so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse... Look at verse 20, verse 26. Verse 25. It says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Okay, see, that, that's, what they, that's what God's doing here in this, the whole story here. Is he's, he's showing his strength through the weakness of David. Look at verse 26. And again, this is how, this is how it applies to us in the fight that God's called us to. Verse 26. For ye see your calling, brethren. Okay, brethren, what is that? That's people that are saved. So every single person that knows Christ, there's a calling on your life. It's the, it's the Great Commission. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. God's not interested in those. God's not interested in any, any of those that can steal glory from Him. Verse 27, But God hath chosen... The foolish things of, of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Verse 28. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. And this is why. This is why he does that. It's verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Man, this is, this is God's recipe for success in the war that he's called us to. Is he saying, hey, the cheat code, Christian, the cheat code on success in this war is the Lord Jesus. It's what he can do through us, not what we can do in our own strength. And so our first sub-point here, I'm going to lay out three things describing uh, what the Word of God talks about as far as victory in this war. But victory in our spiritual warfare comes through surrender. 
Victory in our spiritual warfare comes through surrender. Look at verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered, this is his response to Saul. And Saul's like, what, what are you doing, dude? What are we doing? Are we, 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 we kind of cracking some jokes? What is this? David said, moreover, the Lord has delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And, David said, and, and Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. So what David is, is acknowledging here is that the only way he's going to do it is because God's going to do it. He's yielding himself to what the Lord wants to do through him. And so, because the Lord always will do more through us than, than, than we can do for him. Exodus chapter 14. And this, this exact example we're talking about, this victory being through surrender, like rather than, than trying hard in our flesh, is laid out in the entire Exodus story over and over and over. The book of Exodus, the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Joshua, and we're going to lay out several examples here. But, but look what, look what uh, happens here in Exodus 14. <coughs> and Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. This is, we got this whole deal of, of Egyptian, uh, the Egyptians coming. And he says, Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show you uh, today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. And notice this verse. Because the Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. So, man, in this, this example, it is not the nation of Israel, which again, what does the nation of Israel picture to us? It pictures the individual Christian. 1 Corinthians 10. Their victory wasn't allowing the Lord to do it for them, yielding themselves to them, yielding themselves to Him. Deuteronomy twenty four says a very similar thing: For the Lord your God is He that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations. I skipped something, didn't I? What just happened? Okay, I'm sorry. Joshua twenty three. Sorry, I like blacked out or something. I don't know what happened. And ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Okay, and so when you go through the book of Exodus, and you go through the book of Deuteronomy, and then you go through the book of Joshua, you think about how many victories the Lord kept giving the nation of Israel. Just in the book of Joshua alone. Just in that one book you see constantly. I mean, the, the battle of Jericho is apocalypse. We talk about it a lot. I think it's Joshua 6. They walked around the wall over and over and over and blew some instruments. Like that is what, that is the, the method and that is the path that God has chosen to use to have victory in warfare, in our spiritual warfare. Something that doesn't make sense. Something that we can't put our finger on, but that's why it's called faith. Because it's what he does through us. So we have to remind ourselves of that. We in ourselves have no ability to have victory in this. It only comes through surrender. Remember, I, I brought this up Sunday, but Colossians 2, 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. So, that's talking about our salvation. Therefore walk ye in him. So, in other words, the same way that we got saved. How do we get saved? We got saved by grace through faith. The same way that we got saved, that's how we, that's how we walk according to the word of God. That's how, we, that's how we walk in the spirit. That's how we walk in victory. When we came to Christ, what did we do? We, we didn't come to Christ telling him, look what, look, hey God, look what I got. No, no, 
If we, if we came biblically to Christ, we came saying, hey, God, I don't have anything. I'm a sinner. I need you. And that is the very same way that we're to walk in, in, in this life, in this world. Completely surrendered to him and what he can do. And then secondly, I want you to see this, that victory, once we've understood that we, that we have nothing and that we must fully be yielded to him, victory in our spiritual warfare comes through the word. Victory in our spiritual warfare comes through the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, very common verses when talking about this warfare, but notice this, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Okay, so they're not tangible. They're not something we can put our hands on. But they're mighty, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Okay, so somebody's got a stronghold in their life. You know what they need? Man, they need the Word of God. They need to memorize the Word of God. They need to be in the Word of God. They need, they need their mind renewed over and over and over on a consistent basis. They need the Word of God. That's how, that's how, we, get, that's how we get victory over strongholds. Verse 5, casting down imaginations, because that's where Satan works, isn't it? It's a spiritual warfare. I don't know about you, Satan's never come up to me, and he's never like, <clears throat> gave me a shot in the gut. If he's done that to you, that's strange, and I don't know what that was, but I don't know if it was Satan. Okay, how does he mess with us? In our minds. Okay, he's subtle. And so, it says casting down imaginations. So, th these weapons that he's offered to us, these are the things that they're mighty through God because they have the ability to cast down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So notice these are, these are weapons that are laid out. And the first weapon, obviously, as I've already laid out, is the Word of God. Ephesians 6.17 tells us that when comparing these, these references together. It says, and take, and take the helmet of salvation... And the sword of the Spirit, and he defines it for us, just in case we had any questions on what that was, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful, we know this, and sharper than any two-edged sword. So this is our sword. So, and again, it, it doesn't go into effect, it doesn't have the ability to, to, to give me victory in my life if I just possess this, if I'm not in it, if I'm not, as we talked about last Sunday, if we're not abiding in this book. We're not resting in this and, and, and getting our nose in it, yielding our life to it, does nothing for us. But, man, if we're willing to and, we're will, and we, we desire victory in this war, man, it, it comes right here. It comes within the pages of this book. You have a very cool story in Exodus 17. This is where the nation of Israel is, is they're fighting there against Amalek. And this is the, the passage where you have the whole thing where the sun stands still and all that. Pretty crazy deal. But Amalek is always, in, our, in the Word of God, is a picture of the flesh. Because again, that's part of our spiritual warfare, is, is this thinking flesh we got. causes us a lot of problems. And so, the, in Exodus 17, you have this story where, where Joshua, which by the way, Joshua, translated in the New Testament, is, is Jesus. But Joshua, he, he's leading the armies, and they're, they're battling there with Amalek. They're battling the flesh, okay? And so it, it gives us this picture that, again, the only way we'll have victory over our flesh is through surrendering to our Joshua, surrendering to Jesus Christ, presenting our bodies, a living sacrifice to him on a daily basis. But then notice this. It says this is how Joshua, this is how Jesus gives us victory over our flesh in our own lives. Notice this. 
And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people. What do you do it with? With the edge of the sword. Which is always a reference to this book. Always a reference to the Word of God. So if we want victory in this, man, once we have yielded ourselves to the Lord, which we should be doing every day, we must remember that it does come from this book. Again, not just, not just reading it to appease our conscience, but again, meditating on it. Memorizing it, letting this thing just... just Chewing on this, chewing on the words of the Lord. But then also, the second note, we noticed in 2 Corinthians 10 that the weapons was plural. The second weapon the Lord gives us, which we're probably aware of, is prayer. So victory in our spiritual warfare comes through prayer. That's our, that's our last point there. Victory in spiritual warfare comes through prayer. So we, we really, we can't afford to neglect any of these. If we're walking in the flesh, not surrendered to the Lord, then we, can, we cannot expect to have victory in this war. We're not going to be walking like, like a soldier. If we're not, if we're not consistently in, in, engulfing our life in this, then we can't expect to have victory in this war. And the same thing goes for prayer. And what I've found in my life, and maybe you're different, but what I've found in my life is, is I feel as though I feel as though the Word of God's always come easier to me than prayer. I'll just be honest. If I'm going to neglect one, normally it's prayer. And the Lord, and the Lord about two years ago started redirecting me in that my life and, and, and working my prayer life. But that's always been my tendency. But, it's, but this whole thing is a complete package. These are the weapons that God has given, God has given us. So 2 Corinthians 10, 4, 5, again, for the weapons of our warfare and our carnal. And so I gave you that reference earlier. If you look in your handout, Ephesians 6, 17, which... Again, what's the context of Ephesians 6? It's the, it's the armor of God. So why, why do we need the armor of God? Because we're in a spiritual war. Okay, so verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation. That's the last defensive thing in this war. Okay, so if you think back, there's the shield of faith and the, uh, the feet shot with the gospel of the, the gospel of peace. And I gave you the crazy version of that. I, I butchered that. Somebody else can look that up later. Everybody knew it as soon as I said it. I was like, what did he just say? That was great. Praise me. If we can cut that, fellas, that'd be great. It's live, so we can't. Just kidding. But the, the deal in verse 17, the helmet is the last defensive thing. It's the last, it's the last thing of armor. After that, the Lord moves into to weapons. Well, why do we know, how do we know that? Well, because the sword of the Spirit, like I'm, I'm not defending. Like the, the sword is meant to attack. The, the sword is meant to, to kill. To penetrate, okay? And so the very next verse, verse 18, or look at, look at there in your handout. It says, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In verse 18, notice the next thing in the context of this war, in the context of weapons. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. So this other, again, this other weapon that the Lord gives us, man, is prayer. And so you go back to the story here in Exodus chapter 17 that I gave you, and you can see this cool picture. And the Word of God is so cool. It really is. But you can see this cool picture where, again, we laid out that how did they get victory? Well, Joshua discomfited Amalek. Okay? Jesus, how that picture is Jesus uh, getting victory over our flesh in our lives for us through the edge of the sword. But then notice what's happening in the backdrop of verse 12 of, of Exodus 17. Okay, so check this out. This is the whole deal where Moses has his hands up, right? Remember that story? But Moses' hands were heavy. 
And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon, and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Okay, so what's, what's interesting about this is how do we how do we study the Bible around here? We compare script, uh, scripture with scripture, spiritual things with spiritual things. And so we take that, you simply say, okay, what is that representing with his hands being stayed up? What brings you to, to 1 Timothy 2, which says this, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, okay, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So, so the way that Israel in Exodus 17, this picture, this cool picture that the Lord lays out, the way that Israel, get, get, they got victory over Amalek, is, is through Joshua using the sword and the fact that Moses' hands up, back away in the backdrop, Moses' hands being raised, which represents prayer. So man, if we desire, which we should, I mean, this is the Wednesday night crowd, we're crying out loud, right? If we desire victory in this war, which we, which we do, and these are just some simple reminders that we can see here when comparing Scripture with Scripture from 1 Samuel 17. That this is the path to victory. And I say this all the time, but it really is, it's an interesting day to live because we're in Laodicea, we're in the final hours of the church age. And, man, I mean, it's, it's a unique time because we are the people that are, that are going to be here right before you know, at, at the brink of the rapture. So in other words, time is short. So man, we need to be focused on what we need, the right things to be focused on. We need to be focused on the war that, that God's called us to, the things that are before us. All right, so let's pray. Lord, I thank you for tonight, God. I thank you for your work. God, it, it is truly such an amazing book. God, I thank you for the pictures that you give us. And I thank you for the simplicity that it, it shows us in our Christian life. Lord, I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul said that he feared the church, the church of Corinth would lose sight of the simplicity that's in Christ. God, you are the answer to how we, we live this life vic, uh, victoriously. You're the answer to how we, we walk in the Spirit. You're the answer to how we, we have, uh, that we can get to the place like Paul was, that we can look back one day and say that we fought a good fight. God, I pray that that testimony would be true in our lives. Lord, I pray that, that tonight would just simply be a reminder. If there's one thing, if there's two things, if there's several, that we could, that we could grab hold of and take home with us tonight and uh, be changed because of it. Lord, I pray that you do that in our lives. Continue to work on us. Bring us back home, or bring us uh, back here safely on Sunday. And uh, continue to bless Lee and them as they're traveling and, and on vacation. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I don't think we have any, uh, anything with the, the stuff. The... Uh, you can't, yeah. Yeah, so bingo night, as we've been talking about, is not this Saturday, but the next. Um, so that's going to be in the fellowship hall, uh, dollar card, plus concessions. So it all go to this. So if anybody wasn't here, we are doing a youth camp August the 24th through the 26th. And we're going to uh, camp to know him, which is in Pisgah, Alabama, about two hours away, hour and a half away. Um, near Fort, above Fort Payne, I think. And uh, they, the kids will have to miss two days of school. So that, but again, that would be a good thing. Yeah, that's a bonus. So you're welcome. <laughs> Me. And.
Um, so if you have any questions about that, we're taking donations. That thing, that bingo night is for that. And then we're going to take up an offering if need be on July 23rd, next Sunday, for anything left over. Um, so we pray about that and how the Lord can help you give in that as well.